Good morning, church. How are we? Uh, my name is Ben Hurt. For those of you who may not know me, I'm the pastor. Uh, what a joy it is to gather. I, I honestly almost forgot I had to preach there during worship. What a great reminder, right? Like just all my hope is in you, Christ. Remind me that no, nothing else can fill that gap, right? Nothing else can satisfy but Christ alone. And man, I need, I need that reminder on a daily basis. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. One spiritual discipline that probably is the hardest to stay faithful at and probably also the most convicting for me is the area of evangelism. It's a topic that we often like to sidestep as, as many of us feel guilty for how little we share our faith. And you know, my, my whole heart in going through the book of Acts is that we would we would be inspired by the faith of the apostles who, who were willingly giving up their lives in certain instances for the sake of the gospel to go forth. And, and my desire would be that that would spur us on to be willing to go across the streets where our lives are probably not in danger. And yet it's still something that we struggle with. I mean, even, even you look at the life of Paul and we've learned that he was willing to even have his own life threatened to go to Jerusalem to share Christ with his fellow Jews. And really, there is no greater calling on our lives than to proclaim Christ, right? I mean, think about that. There is nothing more important than glorifying God by making disciples. Nothing else really matters in, this, in the spectrum of eternity, not being a parent, not being a spouse, not being a good employee, not providing for your family. In the spectrum of eternity, those things don't matter in light of the greatest calling on our lives. And yet, it is an area that, if we're honest, most Christians struggle with. Even as a church, what, what's the hardest part of a church? It's, it tends to be outreach. Why is that? I think one reason why people struggle to share their, the gospel is, is one excuse that we give is that, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You, know, you look at scripture, and some people have this gift of evangelism. I believe God gives people like an extraordinary like gifting in sharing the gospel and people responding to it. But, but that doesn't take away the fact that each and every believer is called to share Christ. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be flawless with our words. Even Paul said he came in weakness and in trembling. He didn't come with these like purified, perfect words. We are called to share Jesus. And even in 1 Peter 3, uh, as we've been going through that as men on Thursday mornings at 6.30, if you're looking for a place as a man, uh, we meet 6.30 a.m. at the Dunlap Martins. We've been talking about the fact that we should be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. I think another reason why we struggle to share our faith is because we just don't know what to share. We don't know how to do it. Again, we are called to be prepared to give a reason for the hope. Even uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, We need to have a story and be ready to share it. Well, in the text this morning, we are going to 
learn some valuable principles in the art of evangelism. Now, this is, this is not art of evangelism as if we have to craft things perfectly, but, but I think there's some principles we can take away from Acts here, from Paul, to help us know, like, what, what are some boundaries? What are some things that we should be aware of when it comes to preaching the gospel, sharing the good news with those around us? So before we get into text this morning, let's ask the Lord, because we certainly need his help this morning. God, thank you for the reminder that it is on Christ that we have a solid foundation. So Lord, remind us, remind us, remind us this week that our peace, our hope, our life comes through you. And Lord, we have tasted, for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in you, God, we have tasted and seen that you are good and there are people around us who have not tasted that, who have not seen it, Lord. And I pray this morning that you would spur us on, Lord, to at least begin to pray for opportunities, to develop and think through what is the good news that we would share. Lord, we desperately need your help, God. When we open your word, Lord, our prayer is that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things. And Father, we can study all day long, but until you move it from our heads to our hearts, we don't go anywhere. And so, Lord, would you do that this morning? Would you transform us by your word? Would you spur us on to be believers who are faithful to proclaim you to those around us, both in our words and in our actions? And so, God, we ask for your help this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we got a, we got a large text of scripture that we're going to go through again. So what, what I want to do is I want to break it down into pieces. And so the first thing I want us to be aware of when it comes to evangelism, it's this. Don't force the conversation. Don't force the conversation. Look, at, look with me at Acts 21, starting in verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are are you not the Egyptian then? Who who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. In the first part of Acts 21, Paul, if you remember, he was in the temple, and he was worshiping, and and people took notice, and they found him, and and this mob developed, and they dragged him out of the temple, and they started beating him, really to the point like they were ready to kill him. Uh, But here's, here's the thing about the Romans. The Romans aren't against religion as much as they are against chaos. Like, they don't like crazy things to to take over. They want peace amongst the people. They don't want the people to get out of control. And so very quickly, the Roman officials were made made aware of it. So the tribune, he's like a a leader of the Roman government here. And and here's who Paul is is speaking to. And and as you remember, like, it got so bad, they had to draw Paul away from there, literally carrying him out uh, so that the people didn't kill him. And so this is the conversation that takes place between this tribune and Paul. And so Paul 
starts by wanting to ask him a question. And this throws the tribune off guard. He's, he understands the language that Paul's speaking. That's why he says, do you know Greek? And, and the ignorance of the Romans is seen here because he doesn't know who Paul is. Uh, they just see this riot forming and they're thinking, oh, this must be that Egyptian a few years back that had taken a bunch of people and tried to overthrow Jerusalem. And what had happened is they caught wind of it and they attacked him and they killed most of them. Uh, except this Egyptian leader left, and that's who the leaders thought it was. But Paul was not an Egyptian. He was a Jew. And, and he makes this staggering request. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. So, so picture this. You got Paul who was literally just beaten almost to death. Like he, he, it was, it was, They were going to take it all the way. He's probably bloody. Perhaps he's even got broken bones. I imagine his face is all bruised up. And he's wanting to speak to the very people who just beat the tar out of him. I mean, this speaks to me of Paul's focus on the glory of Christ being proclaimed to the Jews. Like his heart was so focused and he realized how desperately they needed Jesus that he was willing to forgive them and face them and share the good news with them. He was burdened that the gospel be proclaimed. But, but notice, like, he asked permission. He, he didn't just shove it down their throats. He, he, he didn't just take this as an opportunity. Like he, he wasn't trying to force himself because he wasn't trying to win an argument. He wasn't trying to make someone look foolish. He just desperately wanted them to hear the good news. And so he asked permission. And from time to time, I, I, I'm aware of Christians who, in the name of Jesus, just brutally go after people. It may not be some kind of physical attack, but but often I, I, I find myself like asking the question, like, do they care more about winning an argument? Or do they, do they really care that Jesus is proclaimed and that people re respond in repentance? And, you know, it's left me at times to wonder, like, should Christians participate in, like, protest and things like that? Now, I, I think, you know, the scripture says, whatever you do, let it be done in faith. So, so I think there are opportunities for those kinds of things. But we must be aware that it matters the way we conduct ourselves in those ways. We can't allow our emotions to get us to a place where we become so angry. Like Jesus responded that way to religious people. He didn't respond that way to those who are blatantly unbelievers, as we'll talk about a little bit later. We even read this in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, that's what we've been going through as men. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, like let the slandering be, like people will slander us because we say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let them slander us because of the truth and the offensiveness of the gospel, but let not the slandering be because we're jerks about it. It says, respond to them with gentleness and respect. 
you know, this is something that's been wrecking me the last few weeks. I think I've shared a little bit, but um, specifically with my own children sometimes where, you know, one of my kids, we had just bought them a brand new trumpet. Uh, well, it was new to us, two years old, several, a few hundred dollars for it. And up to that point, he had this junky rental that really hardly worked <laughs> very well. And so we finally bought him a real trumpet, like a good working trumpet. And wouldn't you know, like right after he had it, he, he left it at school. Outside, like after soccer practice. And, you know, he was afraid to tell us. And so we had dinner and we went through conversations afterwards. And then he goes to mom and said, mom, I left my trumpet at school after soccer practice outside. It's like, don't tell dad. <laughs> and actually, that, that, that cut me. Like, why, why didn't he want to tell me? Because he knows that I haven't always been gentle. That I always haven't been respectful in those moments. And it was like God reminded me, hey, Ben, remember what we talked about? First Peter 3 in men's, this isn't just talking about those outside your home, but especially those inside your home. Listen, when we participate in protests, when we have regular conversations with unbelievers, we should be prepared to share our hope with them. But there is a way to go about it, to honor Christ in our attitudes, in the way that we portray Christ, in the way that we proclaim him. Is Christ honored in the way that you do things? And, and let's also be mindful, though, too. We can craft the best spoken words. We can come up with this amazing testimony and have it in such a way that it's very persuasive. Like maybe you're good at, in arguments, like the debate class is your thing and you can win a debate. Like, listen, you cannot force someone to come to Jesus Christ. You cannot force someone to repent of their sin and place their faith. You can force someone maybe to say a prayer. Like I never pressure anybody to say a prayer. Hey, if you want to do that, let's say a prayer right now. You ready? Let's say a prayer. Like no, like I'll let the spirit move in them. I'll say, listen, the next step, if, if, if God is calling you to do this, is to repent and believe. And when you're ready to do that, let's have the conversation. Like you cannot force Christ into someone's life. Even Jesus said this in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We are called to plant. We are called to water. But only God brings the growth. Have you ever heard uh, the analogy when it comes to evangelism of red apple, green apple? You heard that? Like you think of a red apple as a, a ripe apple ready to pick. A green apple is, is not ripe and it's not ready to pick. Like there are, there are times where we have conversations with people and we're, we're praying and looking for opportunities and we start to share the gospel and we realize very quickly there's like animosity. Or perhaps like just changing the, like changing the subject. Like that's a green apple. And we have to be sensitive to the spirit to realize that, man, I can't force this. I don't need to force this. Right now the spirit's not moving and so I need to get away. There's other times where it's a red apple. That, that person may not ever come to Christ outside of those conversations, but they're interested, they're, they're asking questions, they're trying to grasp what you're saying. 
Like, I think it's important for us to understand, like, are we talking to a red apple or are we talking to a green apple? I remember last year, I'll probably never forget this, um, Brad McCohen, you know, who's planting a church in Indy out of our church, and he, he's moved there in January. Well, uh, he worked as a paramedic in Oslo County. Is that county? Is that what it is? Township? I'm not sure how, what it is, but in Elkhart. And from time to time, you know, he'll come across people where a loved one passes away. And he always asks the people who are there, like, would you like to talk to a pastor? And from time to time, there are people who say yes. And so this particular time, a lady wanted to talk to a pastor, and so Brad gave me a call, and I go over there, and I've never done anything like that before, and not knowing what to expect. And, you know, very quickly you could realize she, she was just kind of scattered-brained, as, as you could possibly imagine. You know, this, this woman who had lost her longtime boyfriend that she was living with just, just suddenly is gone, just slumped over in his chair. And uh, start talking with her, trying to comfort her, just trying to get to know her life a little bit, just like, Lord, what do I what do I say to this person who I have no idea who it is, who just had the worst thing possible that could happen to them happen? And so started to talk about Jesus, talk about Christ, and very quickly it was apparent, like it was just going just over her head. Like there was, there was no engagement, there was no desire to speak more of Jesus, and, and it just came to the point where I realized, you know what, I'm not here for this right now. I'm just here to give comfort, here to encourage her, um, do, I, do I believe that Jesus is the only hope for her? Yes. Do I believe that Jesus could bring her comfort if she would only have her eyes open to see the beauty and the reality of him? Absolutely. But I knew at that point that the Spirit w- was not moving in a, in, a, in a way that would bring her to salvation. And so we just have to be sensitive to those things. We need to ask God for grace and understanding in those circumstances to know uh, if a person is ready or not. And so, first thing about evangelism is don't force the conversation. Remember that we plant and we water, but only God brings the growth. Look at verse 40 in chapter 21. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Here's point number two this morning. Find common ground. Find Common ground. So remember, just before this moment, it was chaos in the temple and outside the temple. They were beating him, cursing him. They had to bring a bunch of soldiers in to rescue him out and and try to get the, you know, try to calm this storm down. 
But now Paul has their full attention. And there are possibly thousands of Jews who have, who have gone completely quiet. And their full attention is given to Paul. Don't you see God's hand in this? I mean, why would the Romans give him the opportunity to talk to the people who are just trying to kill him? If they don't want chaos to happen, isn't that going to lead to this? Like, why are you giving Paul a chance to speak? No, we wanted him dead. And yet, instead of going crazy, like, this is a God-ordained moment, and things get quiet. And then all of a sudden, when he addressed them in their own language, a greater hush in the crowd takes place. And what did Paul begin to do? He began to lay down some common ground amongst them, identifying with those he was talking with. He found common ground. He was a Jew like them. Not only did he study the law, but he studied, studied under one of the most like, respected teachers, this Gamaliel. And so when they heard that name, their, their ears would have perked up. He participated in persecuting Christians just as they were doing to him. Whether a man or woman, it didn't make a difference to Paul. And notice it, uh, when he says he referred, to, he referred to the church as the way. We've, we've heard the church referred to that as well. In chapter 9 and chapter 19, these are followers of Christ. In all that he is doing here, he's identifying common ground with his audience. He's referring to them as if he, he was the same. Look, guys, I'm, I'm no different than you. He, he didn't come across as somebody who was like, hey, guys, look, I got it all together, and you really should listen to me right now. Like, I'm the one who is the smart one here. He's not coming that at all. He, he's relating with them. Hey, guys, look, I, I come to you as one of you. Like, I was doing the same things that you were doing. And I just wonder, like, what, what was Paul thinking as he's recounting all the things that he had done? The fact that he was there, we'll re read later, when Stephen was killed, verse 20, and when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching. Like what, was, what was he thinking and feeling as he's staring out to the crowds of, of hate that he once had? And he's recounting the fact that he was responsible for the death of Christians. He wasn't looking out thinking, man, what a bunch of idiots. He looked out with compassion. He was relating with the fact that, you know what, apart from God's grace, I would be right where they were. And I think that begs the question to ask us, do we approach those around us as with compassion, with the understanding that apart from God's grace, we would be in the same place as they are? i, I got to be honest, there, there are times, I've been saved for a long time. God rescued me in first or second grade. And, and I, I've been so far removed from living a sinful lifestyle that I can forget the fact that apart from God's grace, I would be an absolute mess right now. But we need to understand if we, if we want to be able to step into the lives of people and have them listen to us, we can't come across as those who have it all together. Because the reality is none of us do. I mean, do you realize, and I want you to really think about this and really answer it in your minds. 
do you realize, do you believe that you are more like the vilest of sinners in the world today than you are like Jesus Christ? If, you were, if we were to put a spectrum of you have, you have Jesus over here, who's perfect, and then over here you have the vilest, most wicked sinner. Do you realize you fall more on this side than you do on the side of Christ? Apart from God's grace, we would be an absolute mess this morning. And, and I, I'm pretty confident that Paul looked out. I don't know if he had tears in his eyes. I could imagine maybe he did. I wonder if his voice kind of cracked as he's speaking and he's looking into the eyes, maybe of people who he killed Christians with, alongside of, longing for them to taste and see that Christ is good. If we represent ourselves as goody-two-shoes who have it all together, people are not going to want to hear it. And it's not a representation of I mean, just even consider, like, consider Christ and, and how he responded to people. I think of the woman at the well in Samaria, and she go, he goes to her and says, you know, like, like, basically offering, like, living water. If you would just ask me, I would give it to you. And this was a woman who he said, hey, I know you. You've been married five times, and the man that you were with is not even your husband. I mean... How do Christians treat people like that today? And I want you to think of yourself. If you encountered somebody who's just living this lifestyle, just rampant, out of control, you know, if I'm honest, those are the kind of people that I've, that I've thought very poorly of in, in secret places. But when I encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ and realize, man, I am a wreck, and who am I? Like Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your hearts. The scripture says if you have hatred towards somebody else, you're a murderer. We, we must be sure that we approach people on common ground. We are no better than those that we are trying to reach out to. And we have to be careful because, because we, we like safety and we like security, right? We live in a world where it's so twisted. You know, when I was growing up, like, Kids were in and out of our house. We were in and out of other kids' houses. And it's just not safe anymore. I, 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 would, I would agree. Like, we can't just let our kids run free and, and crazy like that. But if we're not careful, we can find ourselves completely separating ourselves from all unbelievers. Oh, we don't want to hang out with them because they're evil and they're bad. Like, there's a, we have to be careful. We have to understand that if we're doing that to the extent where we refuse to have any conversations with them, we have stepped past the bounds. Yes, protect yourselves. We need to take, use wisdom. If you struggle with addiction to alcohol, you probably shouldn't be going out to the bars to hang out with the guys. If you go hang out with the bars and you're able to keep yourself pure, but you're able to have a gospel witness, listen, you do what God leads you to do. Don't, don't be so quick to separate yourself from sinners because oh, you don't relate to the people like that. Yes, you, yes, you can. This is, why do we take communion? Communion is a reminder, listen, you are a dirty, rotten sinner who cost a perfect man his life. That's not meant to shame us, it's actually meant to lead us to worship. God, why would you receive someone like me? Oh, don't lose that. Don't lose that fine, common ground. In a real sense, in this world, aren't we just beggars 
helping other beggars find bread. Once we lose our understanding of our desperate need for Christ, we've lost common ground and we're probably not going to share the gospel with those around us because we have somehow thought, we've somehow fallen into the place where we think we're too good or somebody is too bad to receive Christ. That's a dangerous place to be and may, may we repent of that if that's our heart. Find common ground. Number three, share your story. Share your story. Look at verse six. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with him, with me, saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. So what we see here, this is the the second of three times that the the road to Damascus story is shared. So if you're unfamiliar with Acts, you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, earlier in Acts there was this man named Saul who was persecuting Christians who who came to Christ. And Saul and Paul are the same person. And and, and so he's recounting the story, he's recounting what happened to him when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Notice, like, when he's encountering this light, it's Jesus who is talking to Paul. Now, what was Jesus calling Paul out for? He said, why are you persecuting me? Isn't that interesting? Was Paul, do we read of Paul being there when Jesus was crucified? No, we don't, we don't read that. So how could, how could Paul be persecuting Jesus, why didn't he come and say, hey, why are you persecuting my people? Why, why didn't he say that? And, and I think there's a, there's a huge lesson, huge theological truth that we need to come to understand. When it comes to sin, above all things, sin is first and foremost against God. He is the one that we have offended ultimately. He is the Holy One. He is perfect. We were created to give glory to Him. And since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, all of us are born sinners, separated from God. But it's our sin that has separated us from Him. We need to understand that. And our sin is ultimately, first and foremost, against Him. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is so vital for us to understand when we are sharing our story. I've heard so many people share some of the things like, you know what, I was depressed. Somebody told about, about Jesus and now I'm happy. Or something was just missing in my life and I heard about Jesus and then I came to Jesus. Sometimes I don't, no mention of sin. Listen, we don't need Jesus because we're unhappy. We don't need Jesus because something is missing. We need Jesus because we're dead, because of our own sin. 
That's why Paul is, was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus saying, Paul, you're a sinner. You've separated from me. You're dead. You need to come to new life. When we share our story, the reality of sin must be there. I think it was John Owen said, unless sin be bitter, Christ cannot be sweet. Otherwise, Jesus, as I think I mentioned a week or two ago, Christ is no more than just another tool in our tool belt to make us happy. Like, can I just say this? Jesus did not come so that we would be happy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him should, should be happy. Like, he, he didn't come ultimately to make us happy. He came to make us holy because of our sin. Now, here's the reality, though. Isn't it true, believers, that in light of your salvation, in light of Christ rescuing you from your sin, your happiness is far greater because of it? But happiness is not the reason Christ died. Happiness is the result. Like, it's a result of your salvation. It's what happens afterwards. It's a, it's a side effect. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, did you come to Christ because you just wanted to be happy? Or did you come to Christ? Did you come to Christ because you just wanted to get out of hell free? Because that sounds kind of scary. I don't really want to go there. Or did you come to Christ because you realized you were a sinner and you were created for his glory and you can't live for the purpose that God gave you unless you repent of that sin? We must receive Jesus as Savior. But notice what else we see here. Look at verse 9. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. We must also understand that salvation has to be a personal decision. We don't know what happened to these men. I mean, can you imagine, like, there's this crazy chaos that's had this bright light shines, you hear something, but you can't, you don't know, you don't know what's being said, and all of a sudden this man whom the light shone bright on is blind, and you have to lead him to Damascus, and then you just kind of leave him there? And go? Like, we don't know what happened to them. For all intents and purposes, they went back to Jerusalem and found somebody else to go kill some Christians and persecute other Christians. We don't know. Here's the reality that we all must understand when we share our stories. Like, we are not saved because of what church we go to. We're not saved because of who our parents are. We were at a retreat, and one of the things I said to our kids uh, the kids, it was a school retreat. They go to Elkhart Christian Academy. I'm like, you are not a Christian because you go to Elkhart Christian Academy. Like, we can't go on the coattails of somebody else. We must make a personal decision to follow Jesus. And notice also that Paul then calls him Lord. Verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? When God saved us, he not only became our Savior, he becomes our Lord. And here's where I see a lot of people like, oh, I love my sin too much, so I need to get the sin paid for so that I can do it without guilt. And so, okay, Jesus is the way. He paid for my sin, so I don't have to, I don't have to face the consequences of my sin anymore, so I can enjoy my sin without having to worry about anything else because Jesus has paid for it. But the reality is, is, is Paul took a 180 degree turn in his life. He's living in sin. God met him on the road to Damascus and God completely changed him. 
Not only did we receive Jesus as Savior, but he received Jesus as Lord. And I see far too many people as well who love a Savior. Right? We love a good hero story. But if, if i got to put my allegiance under somebody, if i got to give my allegiance to someone, oh, that's a whole new story. I kind of like my freedom. I kind of like that. I want, I want my junk to be taken care of, but I also want to do my own thing. You maybe heard something like this. Jesus is Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. Is he Lord of your life? Where you realize Jesus, we talked about this the last couple weeks, Jesus didn't come and say, hey, come follow me and I'll make life easy for you. Come follow me and live your best life now. Come follow me and every day is a Friday. <laughs> Jesus said, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The call to salvation as a believer is a call to die. Is Jesus Lord of your life, in your story? Is there, surrender, is there this understanding that you are surrendering your life? We are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Part of the art of evangelism involves sharing your story. The last point is this. Partake in the mission. Partake in the mission. Verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law. So I think it's worth saying. I think, I think sometimes the, the word religion gets a bad rap. You know, like I don't have a religion. I have a relationship. And I, I agree with that. But like it, it's not wrong to have religious practices. Communion is a religious practice. Baptism is a religious practice. Going to church in a sense is a religious practice. There's nothing wrong with being devoted to religious things as long as we understand that those things don't save us, right? And so this is Ananias. He's devoted to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. That at that, and at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now that, that could be confusing. So like, oh, I need to be baptized in order to wash away my sins. No, no, these are, these are two separate things that he's speaking of. Be baptized, like, like repent of your sins so that you can be washed, like the appropriate response to salvation. This was so natural for them. It's like when you come to Christ, it's time to make a public proclamation. And you make a public proclamation by being baptized. Does being baptized save us? No. And I think we lose that because baptism back then was a very public thing, not just to the public church, but it was actually like out in the public. I mean, they're like, there's a stream, there's a river, there's a, there's a lake. We're all going out there. Other people are going to look, and they're going to know that you're following Jesus, and this might cost you. But hey, Paul, you're a new creation. It's time for you. It's time for you to proclaim me publicly. So if you have not yet been baptized, what are you waiting for? If there is a sense where you are pressing against saying, no, I don't want to do it, you may be living in disobedience. Because we are called to obey, and the, the way to obey is to be baptized. And so if you haven't, we'd love to do that. 
Last week, we have the privilege of baptizing two people. We'd love to do it more. We have our own baptism. If i got to set this thing up every, every week because people are coming to Christ, praise the Lord, right? Where was I at? <laughs> Verse 17, thank you. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. So this is, again, this is a story right after uh, the Damascus experience. I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So here we have Paul wrapping up his testimony. And we see he's received a call. You're going to go to the Gentiles. And, and, and isn't that like... He, he's been so trained up for, for Jews. He knows ins and outs of Jewish life, but also God understands that, man, dude, like you can't just go from like being one of them persecuting Christians to now being the very ones that they're persecuting. You need some time away. Like your time will come, but you need to go. And Paul responded to the call. Paul partook in the mission that God had for him. He laid down his rights he denied himself, took up his cross, and followed Jesus. Even if it wasn't necessarily to what he wanted to do, he pursued the Lord, the Lord made it clear, and he participated in the mission. We know Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20 as the Great Commission says this. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. We weren't just rescued from our sins so that we can do whatever we want to. He saved us to put us on mission. Going back to what I said at the beginning, the Greatest calling, the only true calling that matters is that we are called to glorify God by making disciples. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. When it comes to the art of evangelism, it's more about faithfulness than giftedness. You don't have to be the most gifted communicator. We don't need 150 pastors. But you're going to reach people that I could never reach. It's not about how gifted you are. It's about do you have a story. Even the blind man who got his sight, his testimony was, I, I don't know. I, was, I just was blind and now I see. I was a wreck. I'm still kind of a wreck. But I'm not as big of a wreck as I used to be. <laughs> and I have hope now when I'm a wreck. Because I know I have forgiveness in Christ and I don't have to beat myself up every day. Even though I still struggle with that. Listen, I don't have it all together. I just know that Christ has brought peace that was never there before. Listen, if that's as simple as your testimony, praise the Lord. 
Remember, you don't have to force the conversation. Trust the Spirit to lead you. And be faithful to follow. Find the common ground. Remember that, first and foremost, you were a sinner. You still struggle with sin. Don't put yourself at a higher place than those that you are talking with. Remember, you do have a story to tell. Whether you were saved from drugs, alcohol, and sex, or whether you were saved as a young child and spared from those things, you have a testimony because you've had a lot more time to sin than others have on this side of grace. That's where I go to. I'm like, God, you should have rejected me a long time ago after the first few days, first few years, especially, you know, 35 plus years later. And yet your grace is still sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. And then partake in the mission. Remember the one thing all of us were called to, proclaiming the gospel. Here's some action steps if you want to go a little further this week. Let me encourage you to memorize 1 Peter chapter 3. It says this, we read it earlier. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Uh, a second thing, just spend some time meditating, reading through Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Like, this is what I'm called to, Lord. How can I be more faithful in that? Third thing, what's your story? Do you know your story? Do you, do you know how you would share it? Again, you don't have to spend hours and hours and hours. This is not an English lesson, all right? I can't stand English. That's why I married an English, English teacher so that she could teach me how to speak, all right? Uh, so if I don't make sense, it's because I probably didn't talk to her enough during the week. <laughs> you don't have to have the perfect words. You just have to be, like, don't people just like, don't you just value genuineness too? Like, like genuineness, I, I love like new believers who are raw, who maybe drop some words that you, they probably shouldn't share, but like they're just new to it and there's like a realness to them. Like that's all people want. Just like you want that. You want realness. So what is your story? And then who needs to hear it? I encourage you, maybe right now if you're taking notes, are there people, neighbors, coworkers, family members who, who you want to share the gospel with? And, and just start by writing their name down and praying for an opportunity. God, would you open doors? And you know what? I've heard stories of people who have prayed for years and years and years. And 20 years later, finally the door opens. Don't lose heart. Remember. We plant, we water, but who brings the growth? God does. Let me pray for us. Father, you have been merciful merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God, we don't deserve any good thing. But we acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so, Lord, we are humbled at your mercy. Lord, would you remind us as we walk out the doors later that we are headed to the mission field that where we are called for one main purpose, live for the glory of God by making disciples, by proclaiming you, by being your messengers. Lord, help us. 
Help us, Lord. Help me. I'm, I'm a selfish person. We are selfish people from time to time, and we like to stay in our own little safe cocoons, Lord. Would you help us to be wise in that, but also understanding that, Lord, you've called us to go in the world. You've just called us not to be of it. So, Lord, open doors that we may hear of people who come to Christ this week because of the faithful proclamation of the gospel by your people. God, give us opportunities. Remind us of the firm foundation, the solid rock on which we stand. Jesus, who's worthy of all of our praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.